Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I have a very special show, and it is actually the most guests at one time ever on the show. So we're setting records, which is awesome. So buckle up. We're going to talk to the three of the four of the founders of the Sustainability and Equine Practice Seminar and Retreat. And the goal of SEPS is disrupting equine veterinary medicine through education and collaboration, which I love. And I've been fortunate enough to be involved, and it's been a really, really cool event. So I was excited to bring on everyone to chat. So we're going to hit the show sponsors. We'll be right back and get everyone introduced. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So let's meet Stacy Misty. Kelly, and unfortunately, Kara is not going to get to grace us with her presence, but we'll still give her an introduction as well. So first off, Stacey Cordovano, she's the owner of Creek Equine Veterinary Services. She hosts the whole veterinary podcast. So if you want to find the one of the best podcasts in vet med, check hers out. It's great. I've been a guest there, which is good. She's been a guest on the podcast. So if you want to go back and hear her entire background and want to hear more about Stacey, episode number 61. Next is Misty Gray. She's the owner of Rose Point Veterinary Services, LLC in New Jersey. Misty works and does a lot of like chiropractic and acupuncture and does some relief for local veterinarians. I'm sure there's more there, but Misty can fill us in a little bit. And then there is Kelly Zaytunia, which I am going to mispronounce her name and maybe I got it right, but we were talking about before we started. She owns Starwood Equine Veterinary Services out in the Bay Area in California, MBA from the University of North Carolina. She is a member of the American Association of Equine Practitioners is also on the board of directors of the Northern California Association of Equine Practitioners. And then there's Carl Wright is traveling, unfortunately, and she has just taken a industry job with Merck Animal Health. She's been an equine veterinarian for years and years and has transitioned to that industry role. She's lived all over the country and actually overseas as well. So she has a unique experience across equine medicine as well. Thank you. Misty, Stacy, and Kelly for being here. Thanks for having us. Good Thank to be you. here. All right. So I'm going to ask questions and then whoever wants to chime in or feels the pool to answer stuff, which I was told Misty is the one that's going to take the bulk of the questions. So let's start with the basics for those that maybe don't understand why and how did you start seminar retreat first and foremost, because it seems like a ton of work and you all have families and you have businesses. 
So why do the extra work and what does that look like? I think one of the reasons that we came up with this idea for the seminar and retreat is that we all got together and had our own little mini seminars and retreats and were really a great support system and a reality check at times for each other. Um, as we've navigated our own careers and balancing work life and family life and other passions. And we kept finding ourselves kind of going back to, well, did you see that post on Facebook about that person concerned about X, Y, and Z? And why hasn't somebody told them that that's not normal? Why hasn't somebody told them that there's a better way? And we realized how lucky we were in the support system that we have with each other and wanted to create and replicate that support system with a small, intimate group of like-minded equine practitioners and do the same. We also really saw the need in the industry to make some sort of difference. And so in the group that we had in our discussions, we felt like there was a way to do it, not on a huge scale, but there was a way to do it on a small individual scale. And all four of us really felt called to make some small difference if we could possibly. I love that. What was the connection and the tie between the four of you? Stacy encouraged me to join Decade One, and then Kelly and Carr were also going to join Decade One, and we decided rather than go to a regional group that would make sense but separate us, we chose to meet kind of in the middle and joined up in a Southwest Decade One group. And the Decade One meetings were like so impactful, but also the time like the four of us chose to stay together and do like Airbnb and really get like that quality time as much as possible together outside of work. And that's yeah. love. That's great. <laughs> and, yeah. You all got along and it worked yeah. and it made sense. The thing that I wanted to ask, and again, I was fortunate enough to be involved in the first event out in Seattle and first time events are tough. Like you're going to mess up, but it was actually fantastic and like really well done. So bravo there. But what surprised you most from the first two? So you've had one in Seattle and then one in Charlotte. And we'll talk about the third one later on. But what surprised you the most with the first two? You know, the four of us bring very different things to the group, I think, which is one of the reasons that it works so well. I am not the outward facing extrovert you know, like I'm more of a one-on-one -on -one person. And I think I felt like going into the planning, I really enjoyed the lists and the checking the boxes and the ideas and the vision, all of that was like really inspiring. But I expected the meeting for me to be a little bit like a hard on my energy to be that in front of people and talking. And I think what I took out of that meeting was it was so inspiring. It was, I was so energized by the end of it, I felt really hopeful and grateful. And I felt like, oh my gosh, like there are so many people just like us that want the same things and that they have all these ideas. And I think a lot of times I leave conversations about vet med and the equine industry in general and just feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, God, this is so big. How are we supposed to make a difference? But when I have left the two meetings, I felt empowered like ready to go. And like I had a bunch of people like, yeah, together we can do this. We're going to do it. So that was my surprise. I think we all had big hopes, especially for the first one. It was, we'd never planned an event. We are all perfectionists, right? That's how we get where we are. So we wanted it to be great, but you just never know. 
And I think the biggest surprise for me was just how willing people were to be vulnerable, to really share, to put themselves out there. And that's what ended up making such a big impact on everyone and why I think we as a group all felt so empowered when we left. So that was my biggest surprise because we can hope for that. But until it actually happens, you just aren't sure if that's going to actually transpire. And I think just to kind of round it out, my surprise was just how much trouble we are in and how much help people needed and the outlet that really was that it needed to be provided to them. It was almost scary how much help and how much support people needed and really were grasping for. So it felt really good to provide that, but also pretty scary. Like this is such a small subset that came to this small group meeting. How's everybody else doing? And we have to keep doing this. And I think, you know, we went into that first meeting thinking, all right, we're going to try it out. We're going to see how it goes. And at the end of it, when we saw groups coming together and talking about plans and trying to make next steps before they left, we all looked at each other. And I think without a doubt, even thinking about all of the work and planning and early morning meetings on the West Coast to make it happen, we knew that we needed to keep going. One of the things I actually wanted to ask, and I was going to go about it in a different way, but I think the initial question there sparks it, which is just like the health of equine from a whole and from a national level, like I've heard from several people and I've had differing opinions. And again, I don't know because I don't live and eat and breathe that every day like you do. Do you see equine just demand for care, like going down, worrying to you? Like when you think about this, like if I'm a young person and I'm coming into this industry, like, is there going to be enough demand in the future to build a really successful business? And then what I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the trends of horse ownership in the U.S. is going down. But that might be regionally different. And I'd just be really curious, like your thoughts there, because you are obviously very well connected, have a lot of folks that you know through the SEPS program. So I think there's two parts to that that we can look at it from. One is the supply and one is the demand. And the supply of equine veterinarians is drastically changing and dropping. So about 1% of graduating classes are equine specific individuals. And by year five, 50% of them have left the equine veterinary industry. You table or couple that with the fact that for every about 20 new equine practitioners, 60 are retiring. So we have a supply issue when it comes to equine veterinarians. And then as far as demand goes, COVID actually was relatively good for the equine industry. Many people found the ability to go out to the barn and spend time with their horses, just like they spend time with their dogs and cats, to be you know, really one of their outlets. Instead of spending money on vacations, they spent money on horses. And so we're seeing fewer owners, but many owners with multiple horses. So I think, you know, for me personally, the demand is there and the supply is diminishing. So the economist in me is like, we're actually doing okay. Yeah. I don't know about specific horse numbers and it may be regional, but certainly in my area, Southeastern Pennsylvania, numbers are up 
pre-purchase numbers are up. Demand is up. I mean, there's still over 400 job openings on AAP. And if we're talking about those percentages and numbers, that's 30 to 35 vets graduating a year, right? Like a 1% number may not make a lot of impact, but 35 people. I mean, that's not that many people. And then we're losing half of them. So we really have a supply issue and then also a retention issue for sure. I agree. I don't know what the numbers on horse ownership necessarily are, but I have not heard a single vet say that they are not busy enough. I mean, like everyone that I speak to is drowning or looking for help or wanting to add another person to help share the load. So that just makes me think again, going back to Kelly, like your thought seems like as an equine veterinarian, I'd have a little bit of pricing power as far as how to do that. Cause I know one of the challenges is compensation, right? Like part of the reason is from an equine veterinarian to GP or ER or some of these other opportunities, like the money is elsewhere and like, you're going to see that. Do you think those trends change? And again, I know we're kind of going off in this specific topic, but I think it's interesting. Well, I think horse ownership is lagging a little bit in their knowledge of what's exactly going on in the industry. And so they may still be pushing back on price increases, but I will let Kelly talk about price increases and what it can do for a practice because it is the way that it has to go to make us able to attract new equine vets. Yeah, there has been a huge lag and we are obviously way behind small animal. And I know of a practice in the area that just lost one of their great veterinarians to small animal because in our area, they're paying fifty and $75,000 bonuses for people just to sign on. That's a huge chunk of change to pay off your student loans or a down payment on a house or any other thing that you want to do with that money. So we're behind the ball there. But I think one of the optimistic things to consider is we are in such high demand right now. And that gives us a little bit more of the leverage and power to regroup if we will take the time and rethink our pricing structure, our boundaries with regard to who we will go and see, what type of clients we want to work with, and what expectations we have for the level of care that we're going to provide to those individuals. And all of those things coupled with even small price increases can make a huge difference to efficiency and profitability within the practice. So the number I like to use at the seminar is a 1% increase in your prices leads to an 11% increase in profitability. It's such a small number, you know, that $100 exam fee to $101 is not going to make or break that individual who calls you out today, they can still buy their Starbucks coffee with that dollar increase. But over the year, it can really impact what the practice is earning and also what your associates who maybe are compensated on um, production can earn. I think that's the beauty of the seminar too, is that when you're work, so if we're talking about a lack of supply, the people that are out there doing it are busy. I mean, like they're working all the time. And that's, I mean, what we hear is how overwhelmed people are. And so I think it's easy to fall into the trap of just getting stuck inside your, your worldview or your bubble. And so to go to the seminar and sit down and hear a presentation from someone like Isaiah or Kelly or, you know, any of our speakers that are going to speak directly to the problems that you're experiencing and then hear 20 other people around you that you've just talked to that you realize are practicing good medicine or any of the stories that you told yourself or reasons why you can't do it and hear that, oh, wait, they're having the same problem. 
and this makes sense for them too. And together we can all do it. I mean, that's the power that we see to be able to change or make change moving forward is like nobody's alone having to do it. It takes all of us. It's going to take a big group of people to really shift the paradigm. Yeah. And one of the things that you talked about earlier is you want a smaller event and, you know, it just seems like such a massive problem, but you get these people in a room and they all take it back to their community and their connections. And then that perpetuates there. And then those people might not be able to attend an event. They can still learn and take something from that maybe personal connection that they have for someone else that came. And I think that's pretty cool to see the kind of that spider web effect of, of what it can be. So again, what kind of areas within equine medicine content you feel like is most pressing? So is it pricing? Is it the compensation piece? Any thoughts there? It's probably going to be a different answer for each of us. I would that's think. Good. I was going to say all of them. So that's not even an answer, but <laughs> I couldn't pick one. I think people come to the seminar ready for the business content, especially as we shift to more practice owners that are attending. They're ready for action and they're ready for the business content. Where I see people, I think, a little bit surprised by the value and what they take away is some more of like the personal reflection and growth. When you're driven and also as the practice owner, you're in charge of a lot of people's lives. And so I think it's really hard to take the time to do some of the self-reflection. And I think that portion of the seminar, so much of the hard facts are impacted by our worldview and how we think of ourselves. And then that trickles down, I think, to how we treat our employees and how we value or how we support our values within the practice. So, I mean, I think the personal stuff is where I think the most impact for change comes. I'll say the opposite just (laughs) (laughs) because I, as a practice owner, come from like that view of, of course, I want this to be a great practice that people come to and enjoy working at and it's out of my home. I want it to be peaceful and I want it to be successful. And I think one of the ways that we can feel comfortable with making some of those more personal or cultural shifts is feeling confident in our finances. And for many people, that's awkward to talk about, or it feels taboo to put money and put those numbers on an individual or individuals who are working for you. But I think that there's a way to do it respectfully and with transparency that gets everybody super comfortable talking about here are the changes we'd like to make and here's the finances that we need to support making those changes, whether it's an alternative work schedule or another technician to keep people safe in the field or a new piece of equipment that helps us feel like we're practicing a higher level of medicine. Those are all things that I think contribute to the culture of the practice and that feeling of worth for each individual that works there. But being able to talk about the finances that go behind creating some of those opportunities is what we all need to get more comfortable with. I'm just going to go back to it's all important, right? Like it, it goes back to the stop working in your business and start working on your business. You can't make these changes without taking a little bit of a pause to get a broader perspective of where you're at and what your values are and where you want to go. But you also need to have the financial knowledge to then take that back and explain it to your employees. So for me, 
I've been there. I've been running day to day, barely keeping my head above water. It took a little bit of pausing and strategic planning to get me above that point. So for me, it's so interrelated. I can't pick one. <laughs> well, and Kelly's point about being like, it, I think, especially as a practice owner, you have to have the comfort. Like it's a luxury to be able, I think in a lot of, well, maybe that's a lot of people feel like anything soft and self-reflective is a luxury because if you're only focusing on survival, that has to take the priority and that can take all of our energy. So it's figuring out the balance on how to move past just survival and putting out fires to finding the comfort of security and your finances and security with your communication with your team and security and everybody kind of having the same vision for where you're going. All right. So Stacy got me on board. All of them are important. <laughs> well, I think one thing is like, there shouldn't be this attitude that you need to give so much and there can be nothing positive. Like you should sacrifice any financial means for your family or someone else's family to like make this happen. Especially if you look at the dynamics of the industry, it's like you can have a well-run profitable business that does right by people and you can still make money. And that is not an evil thing or a bad thing. And the last time I checked, the price for a new truck is not going down. The price for fuel, although maybe it's coming down a little bit, but like all that stuff, right? It's not going down. And so if you take a look at this and just say, well, like, oh, I'm just going to just keep working harder. It's like, you're going to end up getting to the point where you make no money and you get yourself into a corner where it's like, it's impossible. And then that's where like that spiral, I feel like comes into play where it just doesn't work. And I think that's one cool thing about getting everyone together in the room is to encourage like, hey, you're a hell of a doctor. Like you can do this and make these tweaks and life can get a little bit better. It's simple, but it might not be easy, right? Like these are the things to do, but here are some things to think about. And I love that. So you talked about like people making next steps. So what's been the impact or maybe some stories or anything that you're willing to share? And if you don't, that's totally fine. But like the attendees that have been there, doctors that come together, like any stories of what they've taken back or like staying connected and how they've kind of branched out from post-event? Well, super recently, we just had an attendee do a disc analysis with her entire workplace team. So disc analysis is a communication style that we talk about at the seminar. And she just worked through it with her whole team. And we have about five other people with plans to do that in the next couple months. That's one super easy example. I liked another example, and we talked about this in a couple of our other meetings and things. We had an individual that at the very last minute snuck into the first seminar that was in Seattle, and she came up to us at the end of it and said, thank you for having me be a part of this. I'm so glad I could come. I was ready to leave equine medicine, and now I'm ready to hire and just get the help. I don't want to leave. I just need help. And she hired another vet who just started with her, I think maybe a month or two ago. And that came to the second seminar. And so that like butterfly effect that we talked about and that empowering people to stay and not just stay and suffer through, because that's not the point of this, but stay and really thrive feels really good. And they also formed an emergency cooperative to share a call in their mm -hmm. area too. And I think it's been mentioned, but I'm going to reference it again. It's just like at the event itself, it's not a woe is me. Everything is terrible. And I think you can get that feeling at different events. And I think broader veterinary medicine at times can do that. One thing that I've personally noticed as being an outsider, right? Like I see it and I'm like, 
dang, everyone's so negative. It reminds me, and this is completely separate. It reminds me of all the CPAs during tax season that just bitch and moan and complain. And I'm like, you chose this life. Like you knew what you were getting into, but they just complain all the time. And I'm like, I get it. Maybe the people you work with suck and you should get rid of some of them. And if you have so much demand and all this other stuff, like, again, work through your business. So sometimes there are those things where, yeah, it, it is fine to feel frustrated and complain, but like this spiral of just negativity is not constructive. And that's the big thing I noticed in just conversations. Yeah, sure. There are people that are frustrated, but it was cool to see like, hey, this is actually what I'm going to try to do to resurrect that. That was actually going to be a question that I had for you. As an individual who works with equine veterinarians and knows the industry, but isn't right in the thick of it, what were your surprises or key takeaways from the weekend? Because you really participated and were part of the conversations, which was really great to have. I'm just curious, as an outsider, what surprised you or what did you take away? Can I say something funny first? Because it was yeah. the language of, so I was like, dang, I've never heard that. <laughs> I was like, damn. This is why um, they say I, like, I can't believe she just a little clicky. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dang, I can't believe she just said that. And it was more than once, no. but it made me laugh. And I was like, okay, you know, I feel comfortable. Like we're cool. Um, but in a couple situations, it was trying to encourage someone that knew that they were in a bad situation, that knew that they were worth more than what they were maybe getting at that point. And they were, I think, afraid to step out and do their own thing. And I was like, okay, so we just had this conversation and you heard all this stuff about X, Y, and Z, and you're still concerned. Like you're a good doctor. Yes, I agree with that. Yes. And it's like, go do it. The worst thing is you go get hired by someone else. Everyone needs help. Go work for someone else again. That's the worst case scenario. So you go out, you try and you fail. Big whoop. And I think that was the interesting thing that I saw was people realizing, hey, there can be some really good opportunities here more so than, than maybe what they initially gave themselves credit for. I think we're afraid to fail veterinarians in general, right? We have been so goal oriented from day one as a five-year-old who said they're going to be a veterinarian when they grow up all through getting good grades in school and doing all of the different activities to have a good resume and making it through undergrad and then getting into classes. So there's just this, like, we're always supposed to be on an upward trajectory. So the idea of something not succeeding, I think, is more scary to these like highly motivated, highly successful individuals than the general population, maybe. Yeah, the I, fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, like that's that and vet school drives that into us. The fear of failure. If you fail, there's nothing left for you. Like that's the fixed mindset. And we all need to switch to more of a growth mindset and risk-taking and failure is part of the process. I still have dreams about failing a class in vet school. And what would I do? Would I go and back and continue or would I just be done? So what do you do so in your dream? <laughs> she wakes up. <laughs> I wake up. Cold sweat. Like, oh my God. Sweating. Yes. <laughs> I had dinner recently with someone who's struggling and their point of view, which I felt in my soul is that you want something different, like you want some sort of, there's got to be a creative way for you to make your life yours and still do this thing that you love. And, but that's unknown because there are not a lot of examples of other ways of doing things for people to follow. And so the fear is that like, are you crazy for wanting something different? Or are you crazy for thinking 
there's a different way. And it's like the fear of the unknown. So like, yes, fear of failure, but before you can even get to fear of failure, it's, you know, you're like fear, but what? This is supposed to be the best. This is what I wanted. I got exactly what I worked for. It's exactly what I asked for. It was great for a while. It doesn't fit my life right now. I want to do something different. It's hard to see active examples of a creative difference that's successful. Like I think that that was one of my hopes with the seminar and from getting to know these ladies better and seeing some different people. But I, I wanted to be able to say like, can equine veterinary medicine work for someone that looks like me, like for my lifestyle and to fit my needs. And like, I've got two kids for whatever the situation is for each person. Like how can we make equine veterinary medicine not be so rigid? Like how can it be flexible and successful because like the the one way of doing it, everyone knows it. And it's like, if you don't fit into the model, what's left for you, right? So that was my hope. One thing that I was just thinking about too, is like, you know, the idea of like growth, 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 just because you can, doesn't mean you have to, you can get to the point where like life is good, right? Business is good. I don't need to do more. I'm okay. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And it happens in my industry as well. And I think a lot of industries, like you have to be growing. Like if you're not growing, you're dying. Like you can just be at a good pace and live a good life and have things that are, this is enough. And I'm happy with that. And you can still grow in other ways or be interested in things that are completely personal that are outside of the profession. Because I think most people, and again, when you meet someone new, what do you ask? What, what do you, you do, do for a living? Mm -hmm. yeah, and so your identity is wrapped up with that. I heard that you're supposed to ask, like, instead of asking, what do you do? You should ask, what are you passionate about? I'm yep. like, okay, I get it. And I tried that. It's awkward. <laughs> You want a better one that will be even more awkward? Just say like, hey, what do you think of Bitcoin? And so you just start doing that and see what, see what people say. They'll look at you like you have four heads. That'll be better. I mean, just do that. I left that meeting because we had had that conversation about how we introduce ourselves and how we identify. And then was in a small group and watched everybody go around the table and do the same thing. And I tried to introduce myself as, you know, like I'm passionate about hiking with my dogs and mountain biking and whatever. And it was like cricket yes, in the room. It's awkward for nobody. People were like, did she not understand the assignment? <laughs> like we're talking about our jobs here. So it's really interesting. We still need to work. On I that. tried it at a um, <laughs> kid's birthday party with other moms. <laughs> like I'm already, you know, Gosh, like yeah. sometimes bugs fly out of your purse or I don't know, like it's hard to fit in with the moms when you're on farms all the time. But but there were some other like, you know, like the dentist and I don't know, I was trying something different. I was gonna be a, not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. I'm not a cool mom. <laughs> I wanted to say something kind of in the vein of both of the comments that you guys just made was that I've come around to the idea that equine vet med actually can be one of the most flexible types of veterinary practice. And I think you can be in that growth stage. I think you can be in the non-growth stage. I think you can be happy with where you are. It comes down to like taking a minute though to actually think about what you want as opposed to like Missy said, just going along with the path that everyone thought like join a big group practice and make as much money as you can possibly make a year and grind it out for 80 hours. I think we have the opportunity to be so flexible because our clients are also flexible. They're at the barn a lot. They're willing to work with us. We get to know them very closely. So that's what keeps me inspired is that I think that if we can get the knowledge out that it's that flexible and you can tailor it to what you need for your life, 
that's what keeps me motivated lately, I think. Well, because one of the things I've learned recently in this stage of life is that fresh out of school, you kind of have tunnel vision for the next stage of life and don't really grasp or I did not grasp that my life was going to look really different at different points. You kind of think that right now is forever. And so like what worked early on doesn't work. But even like with the kids, they first you're in like the baby stage and that feels really different. And now the kids are starting to go to school and that feels different. And then when, then they're like not going to want to hang out with me and that's going to change how much time you have available. So it's just the demands and needs for what your job needs to do for you and your whole life responsibilities, because you are more than just a vet, you're an adult person with all range of responsibilities. That's going to change over time. Like that's not static. So you have to be able to work a job that can transition with you, like meet your needs in the ebbs and flows. I'm so glad you pointed out that it's really not a big complaint fest. It's one of the things that we focused on when we were trying to prepare for facilitating a group like that. Like, how do we keep it kind of like recognizing that the problems exist? Because I think you got to call them what they are, but then focus on solutions and like moving forward rather than just commiserating. Yeah. And I mean, that's partially why I was involved because it was fun, like candidly mm-hmm. straight up. I told my wife when I came back, I was like, that was a ton of fun. I got to go out and talk and say things, but then I like got to interact and she knows that like we go back to disc profile. She knows like where I stand and I know Kelly, you and I are like the exact same person apparently. <laughs> so she was like, oh yeah, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. I didn't just explain all that. So it was fun. And I think that was part of it too, is like, if you're not enjoying it, like you're not going to have as much to take away. And I think it is something where I enjoyed it as someone that there are certain topics that, yeah, that's not going to do a lot for me. But again, I also want to just like learn as much as I can, which is part of why I have this podcast, right? Like I want to learn and understand things better. And an easy way to do that is bring on people and ask them questions and shut up and let them talk. So I wanted to ask a question that I was just thinking of that came off the top of my head. What do you think about within equine medicine? So you have, again, people that you're going to work with regularly in the barns, like you have this kind of routine where you're going to see them and you have people that will call you out of the blue and need things. And then, you know, like they're good clients or bad clients. What about an idea where do you think there is a model and maybe someone's already doing this and Kelly or Stacy or Ms. You can tell me a subscription model where you're my person, you pay, you get access to me, anything above that, it changes. And then you have a different dynamic. Is that happening? Should it happen? I think it makes sense, but I also am not an equine veterinarian. So tell me why I'm right or wrong. Or is this interesting? It should happen. We do it already. We just don't charge for it. I don't know how we would get clients to get on board with it, but we 1000% provide concierge service for our clientele. Most practices, I would say, especially small practices where there's not necessarily an office staff barrier. I just struggle with the implementation of the idea. I don't know. Kelly, thoughts? I think I love it. I've thought about doing it with some of our more like enterprising clients who really do invest in us as much as we invest in them. And I just haven't. I've got a couple other things going on like these seminars, (laughs) but we do do it not as much as small animal, but think about like the wellness programs where people can pay in advance for us to come out and do the standard of care, vaccinations, dentistry, deworming, general exam once a year. That is a little bit more of a simple way of creating 
quote unquote subscription. These people have invested in us and sort of agreed formally that we are going to be their person, at least for this next year of services that they've paid for. It allows us to budget a little bit and plan for how many horses we'll be caring for. And in exchange, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to be available for those emergency calls at 3 a.m. We're going to provide you with a little bit of extra education if you have a quick question that doesn't require an exam or follow up. So we're doing it and maybe just not calling it that. And Stacy's absolutely right. Many of us are doing it and not charging for it. And that's the kicker. And people are so afraid that clients are going to be turned off if we start charging for our services and our years and years of education. But in my experience, every time that we've done that, or we've said, you know, we can do this phone consult with you, it doesn't require a farm call. People are over the moon that they are getting the information and attention that they need without having to schedule around their workday, without paying the farm call. I'm over the moon because I can help somebody in my pajamas on some days. So there's ways for us to do it. We just need to start charging for it while we do it. Interesting. I have, yeah, some thoughts. We'll see. I don't know. To me, it makes sense of kind of that. This is how we are going to work with you. We, again, use it as an excuse. Go to the seminar, come back, say, hey, I'm making this change. This is something that a coach, a team, a consultant, I feel like this is the change that needs to happen for us to do our work the way that we want to. This is how it is going to be. And if I am in demand, most of those people are going to say, okay, what do I need to do? Well, right. It's a client fee agreement and it's a signed, formalized relationship that is agreed upon and in writing before you ever step foot at the barn. And it protects everybody because it manages those expectations. And whether you have a front desk or not, it's easy to go back and say, per our client fee agreement, we haven't seen you in over a year. I'm not coming out to see you at 11 o'clock at night for this emergency. Who have you been seeing for the last year? You should call them. Yeah. I kind of got it earlier, but I'm going to... Oh, no, I have another fun question I want to ask before we kind of close. So... You've been fortunate, but I think it's smart because you're getting a lot of the, I think the best of folks in equine medicine that want to come together. So you have sponsors. If sponsorship was unlimited, no budget, right? So have some fun. Let's dream a little bit. Who, what would be at the next seminar and what would you structure as an event? Again, just off the wall, anything you can bring a speaker, anyone you wanted, or some sort of like structured event. Again, have fun with that. Take it any way you want. I mean, I'd have Brene Brown come personally. That would be my goal. Love it. I also think that we would probably handpick associates that are really struggling and don't have a lot of say in their practice life, fly them out and have them there and cater to them all weekend. Not that we don't want practice owners input because we do. I think it's important to have a balance. We've kind of always had a 50-50 balance. We might have a few more this upcoming meeting. I think it's an important balance, but I think those people are the ones that have the hardest time getting to us. That's what we've heard. We've had a couple scholarship spots and they've always gone to associates that have been struggling with time off or CE money. Yeah, I second that. We've been very lucky to have sponsors that came in and partnered with us right from the beginning and have just kept pushing us and really helping to keep 
our motivation going, which has been really fantastic and so appreciated. I think the biggest thing would be getting the people there that really need to be there, but don't feel like they can take the time away or have the CE funds to, to make it there. Oh, the other person might be like the solo vet. We could hire a relief vet for them and then they could come. Oh, that's a good idea. I would want Adam Grant to come. Oh, too. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got good, yeah. good insight. Brene and Adam would be our keynote speakers. Yeah. Any connections, Isaiah? Can you hook us up with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let me text them. I'll see what they say. Let's just tag them both on this podcast <laughs> and see if we can just get their attention. Well, sure. And if funds yeah. are unlimited, can we have a band? Couldn't we have a band with no funds? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Guacamole yeah. night with live music. I was thinking a spa day. Oh, yeah. We could really dig deep into yeah. this question, Isaiah, don't you? Yeah. We, okay. we, well, would, yeah. we would really go with the retreat. Yeah. We would really amplify the retreat. Yeah. I love the idea of getting some of the people that feel like they can't spend the time or maybe they're like, hey, money is tight and I have to be here. I can't take time away or I, I can't get away. Like, how do you get them there? Mm-hmm. How do you make that happen? I love that idea. And, um, we actually yeah, have a couple of ideas that. for that for the next year, but nothing firm yet. So we were able to get CE credits. So we didn't have it at the first event, but I think it is worth saying we now offer CE credits, which I think does help with, not that it's not a legitimate effort to invest in our personal development and professional development, but this at least helps people, especially associates who have a certain budget, they're getting CE credits to come and join us. Sure. I'm still going to ask it. So any question for me, nothing's off limits. If you want to ask anything, have at it. I know we kind of already had one earlier, but that does not disqualify another question since we have a bigger group here. Anything that's top of mind? How uncomfortable for you was it during the Bitcoin disagreement conversation at the debate. initial debate at the initial? Because it was uncomfortable for us, but I don't know how it felt for you. <laughs> oh, I don't. He, this oh, is cool. the first he's hearing that anything was uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, so I think anyone that listens to this show knows that I have an opinion on what will happen in the future. And so one of the things that I obviously am very passionate about is saying, hey, pay attention to this. I think the juice is worth the squeeze. And that is important. And so best part is time will tell. And Isaiah will be on the right side of history, in my opinion. (laughs) And so anyone that is there is going to say, damn, that guy back in, in 2021, holy shit, man, that was pretty impressive that he was thinking about that. And yeah. I mean, so to me, it wasn't uncomfortable. It's just, it's a lack of education and knowledge. I know more than the individual that had the disagreement and we could go rounds and rounds, but I mean, it could be an hour and we could just dismantle that whole conversation. But I don't think that was what everyone was looking for at the time. And we kind of (laughs) ran out of time. I mean, we could have an entire conversation on that. And I think it would be really, really interesting, but no, I wasn't uncomfortable. Like I'm used to that. I have lots of peers in kind of financial services that disagree with me and I'm fine to go toe to toe and have conversations with them because I think it's important. So that's all right. Everyone's enabled to have a wrong opinion or a different opinion. (laughs) Yeah. When you're passionate about something, I agree. It's not uncomfortable. So you're going to be joining the group in the fall in another month. And so my follow-up question is, what are you most looking forward to and or are you changing anything about the way that you present the information or how you come to the meeting? Yeah. So I always want to change and tweak things. Like I always do that. Like I don't want it to be the same because like if anyone would come back or is there, I don't want it to be the same rehash. 
I think the biggest criticism that I hear or see in most like financial talks is like, what the heck is actionable from this? And so at the end of the day, for me, is always going to be what is actionable, what is actionable, what is actionable with everything that I want to talk about. So if I can get better and sharpen that, that's what I'm after. So from an adjustment standpoint, and I always can do better. And every time I give any sort of presentation or do any, like I always reflect and think, dang, like I should have done this and this and this better. Like this was bad and that needs to be tweaked. So as far as the other things, one of the things that I always enjoy is like the side conversations when people have questions because they're all over the place and it's enjoyable. Like I love the hey, let's chat for 20 minutes about like all kinds of random stuff. And if this is helpful, go for it. Great. And I think that's been the fun part. So I'm looking forward to that. How is it to be? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the only guy in the room? Yeah. So I told my wife that because like, again, financial services, rooms full of old white guys. Like I was used to that (laughs) growing up. And it'd be like, oh, there's like three women here in this room of like 300 guys. And I was like, hey, I was in a situation where I was the only dude (laughs) in the room. And I was like, I was fine. This is great. It's cool. Like, I mean, I did feel it. Like, I acknowledged that. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. This is different. I've never had that experience really before. It's pretty rare. Like, there's been a handful of other times in my life that I've been like, oh, hmm, this is interesting. But it's very rare that happens. So I think it's interesting. Like, it didn't yeah, change anything. And like I said, I think it was really, really enjoyable because I learned a ton. So. Well, we're excited but to no, have I did, you I did tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that are listening, right, like, we have to plug when it is you still have room. I didn't ask that before we came on the show, but let's talk a little bit about that as far as when it is, where's it at, how to get you know in touch or all that. What are the good details for people to follow up on? So it's going to be held at our original location. So it's at the Cedarbrook Lodge, which is just outside of Seattle, Washington, September 29th through October 2nd. We are... We maybe have a seat or two. It's close. It's close. We're close. To full. It's yeah. close. We're certainly not going to turn down somebody who really needs to join us because we know that those people that are kind of on the fence but need to um, are maybe the ones that need the most help. And I think it's also exciting to say that it doesn't just end there. We will actually, or the team will actually be staying a couple additional days and we're hosting an alumni event. So individuals that have been at the first two meetings are going to come back and do a deeper dive where we actually workshop and are a bit more actionable, as you mentioned earlier, with some of the topics. So we're not just talking about it and saying like, oh yeah, I should work on that. It's I'm coming here today and I'm going to work on this. And I have these other individuals in the room that are going to make me accountable for the changes that I'd like to make. So hope to see people there that are interested and definitely looking forward to getting back together with the alumni. And you can find out more information at our website, which is sepseminars.com or follow us on Instagram at seminars. It'll be in the show notes too. So I appreciate it all. Thank you so much, Stacy, Misty, and Kelly for spending some time to chat through this. This is great. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Thanks, Isaiah. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. 
All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.